This podcast allows others to tell their spiritual stories and journeys and gives them the safe space to do so. Some things said within may not always align with the views of our podcast. Here at Coven of Rejects, we believe in allowing anyone to tell their story regardless of our own personal beliefs. While we do encourage you to follow our guests on social media to better understand their journey, we do ask that you use your own intuition to discern what energy may or may not align with you. What's up, weirdos, rejects, and free spirits? Welcome back to another episode of Coven of Rejects. I'm your host, Diana Ratliff. As always, sit back, clutch your crystals, and let's get into some crazy spiritual shit. I want to thank 777 Sounds for making that kick-ass introduction song. You can find them on Instagram at 777sounds. We don't really have any announcements today, you guys. Thank you for all the new listeners that we have. I see you guys sharing the podcast like crazy. This shit's popping off. I am so excited. Make sure that you are sending links to all of your witchy friends. We are on every platform. And please make sure that you are following my pages. My TikTok and Instagram are Gemini underscore goddess 420. The Patreon is linked in the description below. Make sure you guys are signed up for that for podcast bonuses, behind the scenes, um, witchcraft educational things, and so much more. And then make sure you are following the Coven of Rejects Facebook page as well. And without further ado, this week's guest is Lee. I know that you are going to love listening to them. Please make sure that you go and follow them also. All of their information is going to be included in the description below, as is every guest every week. I encourage you to follow every guest that you hear on here. You know, the whole point is that we are listening to different viewpoints and maybe some things align with you some weeks and some things don't other weeks. But I really love the idea of every guest getting all of our support on just their journey and so even if something doesn't necessarily resonate with us as our own practice, we can still go out there, support them, and keep encouraging them on their journey. So here we go. Let's get this episode popping. Here is Lee. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, love. I'm so glad to be talking with you. I love your accent. Um well- where Thanks. are you from? Oh, I'm from Sussex originally, but I'm currently in South Wales. I love it. Um, have you ever seen the movie Mrs. Doubtfire? Yes. Your accent makes me think of Mrs. Doubtfire, so I'm already comfortable <laughs> with you. Oh, well, that's perfect. <laughs> I like it. That's great. That's a compliment indeed. I will take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I think we found each other in a Facebook group. Yes, yeah. Which one was it now? I can't remember. You know what? Um, Don't even know. And and what's yeah. funny about this I, I wanted to share with you is that I had never posted about the podcast in any group. Oh. And for a couple of days, I was just feeling like spirit being like, hey, like, you know, you should you should reach out to these groups. You should put this in here. And so I was like, oh, all right. And so I just I kind of I made one post. I put it in there. 
you ended up commenting, we ended up talking and here you are, but it, it escalated into me posting into other groups because of the response that I got from you. And one group was like, we've never let anybody post about brands or, you know, personal business in here before, but we would like you to start posting weekly about the podcast. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Yeah. So just uh, thank you for your warm welcome. It like boosted my comfortability oh, yeah. and confidence to posting in groups. Oh, good. Yeah. No, the thing is, it's it's always nerve wracking, isn't it? Putting yourself out, especially when it's your, your own kind of project and it feels very personal and yeah, it can be a bit full on, but I think it's worth, you know, dipping your toe in the water and, and seeing what, you know, what bites, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I love it. So I... I saw that you have a YouTube channel. I went in and I looked a little bit. I see kind of how you practice now and you are really, what I love is that you teach people and you are so open about like information that you have and answering questions. And I would love to get around to that and have you share with everybody kind of what your practices and what you do now. But I would love to start with what your childhood is and what kind of like spirituality were you raised in and how did you kind of come to practice the way that you do now? Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, I was raised as a, um, a Quaker. So it's, at least in the UK, it's a very kind of chill and relaxed form of Christianity that focuses mainly on really your, the idea that everybody is essentially equal and that there is something kind of holy in everybody. And so as of all the Christian religions or Christian sort of sects to grow up in, that was at least <laughs> the least harmful, I think. Um, but it was very much for me, because that's because I was raised in a Quaker meeting house, it was very much sort of just there. It was like a a whole kind of surrounding um so very sort of immersive it was a 300 i think about 350 years old now building that had its own little um you know about an acre of land and my parents were the wardens who essentially looked after the quaker meeting house and um and what was then a sort of b&b a bed and breakfast and so my sort of my first sort of seven years of life were really kind of just as an only child in this acre of land with trees as my friends, essentially <laughs> being an only child in a sort of a rural community. Um, you know, you end up chasing rabbits and uh, and talking to birds and having, you know, messing about with slugs and sna <laughs> snails and things like that. So, so really it was, it was quite a, uh, a sort of immersive experience into nature and the relationship that we have with nature in a, in a more kind of cooperative sense because there was a little like an apple orchard and you could see how they kind of fruited and then how they were eaten by the various little insects and things everything had its place and you know you experience kind of life and death in that scenario and as a small child I think that was quite important to see you know the process of things like you know seeing when an owl had taken something and or you know messing about with uh with sort of different um you know trees or plants and and just getting your hands dirty so for me growing up was it kind of was personally an almost um animist kind of perspective and I, I very much from a young age remember looking around and feeling like 
feeling like there was just something there was like something there a kind of sense of some sort of spirit if you like um very much kind of like a spirit of place and that everything had its own its own kind of autonomy that then existed in this little community that you couldn't necessarily see but you had to sort of experience so so that was really the kind of thing and, and quakerism worked quite well with that but as i sort of got into my teens and we moved away from the meeting house and, and you know you get older and you get queerer and so then you, end up thinking, <laughs> you know you think to yourself do I really want a, a man sort of being the lord and like you know it just didn't really sit sit right with my little kind of feminist uh you know lesbian. <laughs> you're like man in charge I don't think I want that to be the basis of what I believe in yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it yeah so, so yeah I just got into my teens and, and I sort of you know I was working and you know there are less and less Sundays free and as much as I admire the sort of pacifism and I admire the the focus on stewardship and and the history that Quakerism has of, of fighting for civil rights um, and equal rights in general it, it was still that concept of an external power source that that there has to be this thing higher than you. I don't like hierarchy. Um, you know, I, I don't like the concept of having to bow down to someone else or to, you know, give, give your autonomy away. I think that ultimately when I was that child and experienced that essence of stuff just being and existing with one another in this kind of cooperation, it felt very much like a, well, really like a cooperation, like everything had its place, everything worked together. And so for me now, you know, it's definitely a case of returning to those sort of animist feelings that I had when I was younger. And um, and it's tough, you know, because when, you, when you're exploring, especially alternatives to major religions, A, you've got to get over the fear that if you don't believe in a deity anymore, that you're going to get zapped by lightning. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's that kind of thing of like, oh no, what if I, what if I cork it and then, and then God's there going, look, I told you, I told you, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh, I should have probably made this whole God thing. So it's a bit like, it's nerve wracking to let that go, especially being raised as a, what you call a birthright Quaker, so born into a Quaker uh, family. So it was nerve wracking to let that go. And I would always say that as part of my kind of cultural heritage, you know, I am a birthright Quaker and that continues, but in in less and less, that's more of a cultural thing than a practicing thing. You know, I, I would still say that is part of my history. Um, but, you know, when I got to those teen years and I started exploring, I thought, well, what can I, what is there that's appropriate and that expresses what I'm trying to, trying to sort of get? I feel like there's still some kind of mystery to the universe, but I don't feel like it's a man-made kind of thing. And so then I explored polytheism and, you know, what's polytheism? polytheism? Oh, well, polytheism is, is essentially uh, it's kind of multiple deities, um, and there's there's various sort of polytheist religions, and and there's certainly things that can be great um, for community and for exploring, and obviously there are some cultural uh, polytheistic religions, but I explored the sort of pre-Christian religion, um, or at least the kind of practices in the UK uh, and sort of came around to looking at things from a, a heathen perspective or like a uh, Alsa true perspective, which was sort of more the Norse and Anglo-Saxon um, gotcha. deities, you know, but the, the challenge is, especially as a queer person, um, you know, whilst there are a lot of sort of 
queering of things in the sort of folklore there. And whilst there's a lot of, especially as a, as a Brit, a lot of helpful history um, in the country that, you know, of, of that I live in, it's, it's still a religion. It's still something that has some, you know, texts that have kind of problematic terms or, or concepts that really kind of don't necessarily apply anymore. And for me, I, I felt like it was, it was a step away from monotheism, which was, you know, the sort of the Quakerism side of things, but it was still something that relied on an external power source. And it was, and, and the trouble, with, unfortunately, with heathenism is it's often co-opted by, um, you know, racists or far-right people. Uh, and there's a lot of heathens out there actively working, actively anti-racist, but it's just one of those things that I felt when I was in the community, there was a lot of toxic masculinity and, you know, I just, I don't need any more of that. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is that you say that and um, there are, you know, various, like various groups that I've come across that have different kinds of uh, Norse paganism. And hmm. I have noticed that there are some groups that are very male dominated and yeah. that are very um, like men shaming other practicers. Mm, and yeah. so that for me was my first experience in, you know, even learning about what Norse paganism was, was I was trying to start, you know, figuring out what was feeling right to me and, you know, seeking out all these different groups and, and trying to like, you know, do I need to put myself in a box? What do I need to do? This was years ago. Yeah. And I just found that it was so heavily convoluted with just like toxic masculine energy. I have mm. found the same thing on other platforms where, you know, there are men on TikTok or whatnot who like, I'm Viking and I, you know, like whatever. <laughs> and you're like, okay, dude, like you, you fucking grew up in Massachusetts and you <laughs> have a pencil mustache. Calm down. Uh, but one of the things that I love about doing this podcast is like, I had a woman on who is, uh, she's a Norse pagan witch. That's how she identifies herself. And she works with Odin and some others. And she is like such a breath of fresh air because she's so gentle and nurturing. And mm -hmm. I love the, like this, like duality dichotomy of being able to have, there is that side of it that where there's this like super toxic masculine, like, ugh, leave me the fuck alone. You creep me out <laughs> vibes. And then there's also these like on the other aspect of it, there's these gentle, like loving, so kind to you. Yeah. You know what? There's like so much of a focus on community within, within positive heathen spaces. There's a lot of community focus, building each other up and really a lot of focus on at least the spaces that I occupied were very much focused on learning about the law and the, you know, the history of things and applying that in a sort of re, in a, a reconstructed way in that terms of like, you're looking at what happened in the past, you're then, you know, making that more appropriate for now. Um, you know, and that was, it was, it was something that was fulfilling at the time. And I do think, you know, safe work or, or, you know, Nordic magic and things like that, Nordic witches as well. There's, you know, Jenny Blaine's written uh, some very good books on that. Um, you know, there are really interesting parts of the law that are 
very fulfilling for people and can be a fantastic exploration. And I still, you know, look into those practices because they have informed the, you know, the cultural sort of narrative in the UK um, in little ways, in large ways, in, you know, place names or just in terms of history. And because it is that religion that's, that is, or it's a, there's lots of cultural practices there that kind of have sort of come through as as uh, or retained as folk practices in some way or another. It's it's you know something that's appropriate and it's accessible. So it can be something that's really really helpful. I think ultimately for me, I just got to a point where I was still feeling like I'm still feeling like it just it was moving the power away from me and I sound like <laughs> sometimes I'm kind of megalomaniac I'm gonna go on some <laughs> like mad trip but um but really I just I, as someone who especially as a queer um you know at the time I identified because I you know I identify as non-binary um but you know being assigned female at birth you're you're made to shrink yourself all the time you're made to shrink your power um all the time you know and and just being in this kind of this still male dominated space um you know that realistically you still weren't sure if the person you were talking to was a racist or not and you still weren't sure whether you you know it's just that whole thing of like is this and because it is quite a predominantly um white religion it's it has the it runs the risk of of kind of performativeness rather than actually being uh you know able to to garner true concepts around privilege you know it, it ends up being a little bit sort of away from it uh, and perhaps doesn't necessarily realize it obviously you know it, it will vary heathenism will vary from place to place but i think having spent time in more kind of radical spaces since heathenism you see how much the how much there work there is to do within that space to make it truly um yeah just truly aware i think that there's i think it's yeah i think it's a challenge i think individuals are always going to have their own thing their own level of awareness um, but ultimately as a, as a community heathenism's duty really to the wider community because it is so focused on that is to make sure that they're serving everybody and um and that they're making sure that that everybody is, yeah, just just seen. And if you're going to talk about, if you're going to talk about that sort of sense of building each other up and of that sort of loyalty, I think that just loyalty to humankind in general is always a good place, you know, to start. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think heathenism is certainly something that that served for me a purpose of of a kind of stepping stone and that's not to diminish its importance to other people um but ultimately i was just there were just a few things for me that just didn't sit right and i then was like okay so i've gone monotheism into polytheism what now and i i was like i still feel there's something i still feel there's something there and i thought well the only other thing that i can see that is associated with nature you know always going back to that sort of that childlike wonder and experience of the natural kind of world, I was like, okay, the only other thing I can think of is witchcraft. You know, what? <laughs> it seems to be the thing, like the whole idea of hedge witchery and, and looking at that relationship very much one-to-one between yourself and your environment and, and how you sort of go about existing within that environment. So 
it's certainly been a journey. Um, you know, <laughs> I want to point so. out that you started out with talking about nature. And now as you're talking about kind of like finding your path and what works for you, you use the word environment. Mm. And I was thinking as you were talking about how you like moved away. And then as you moved away from that house that you grew up in, where you had the nature and whatnot, that's when you kind of started to kind of question a little bit of like this religious, if you will, the religion that you had been in and the way that things had gone. And I wouldn't be surprised if you are like very, a very earth connected person where you just having the opportunity to be out in nature and to be able to see the way that nature kind of handles and nurtures and like you said, dies off and comes back and that circle. Um, if, if you were so grounded and clear there um, because you just connect with earth so clearly. And then when you move away from that safe place, if that's why things start to get confusing, I wonder if like your home and the way that you connect with, you know, whatever energy it is, is very earthbound. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You know what? I think that's, I think it's funny because when I um, was, when essentially my parents uh, divorced and so then they, we had to sort of move from the the uh, guest house because it was really not a one person job. Um, and so when I used to visit my dad, one of the things that would anchor me in would be this tree that was outside his flat because he was in a, in a city uh, and I was going from like the countryside to the city and it was, especially as a sort of country kind of bumpkin style, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it was that thing of like where are the trees <laughs> where are all the trees <laughs> it was very like disconcerting and there was this big oak tree um that used to uh be outside the flat and I always used to touch it and and uh, walk around it or like hug it or whatever and there's a picture of me actually I've still got um hugging the tree because it was just my little anchoring point when I was there to really sort of ground in and I don't think I realized that's what I was doing at the time um but it's it's funny actually because recently a friend of mine went up to um, the city that my dad was in and I said oh check out the tree see if it's still there I I really want to go and visit this tree <laughs> and um, and the, it was unfortunately it had come down in a storm but they managed to get a little piece of bark for me Aww. of the tree itself so I was so stoked I've got it on my on my offering stead um, as uh, with the picture of me hugging it way back when so. <laughs> So yes, earth-based is very my thing. <laughs> I love this. So, <laughs> so now have you started, I know you've gone through all of these different, um, you know, kind of practices, if you will, in like different categories for yourself, which by the way, mm-hmm. I think is like something super important to point out because I talk so much about like, don't like, you don't have to put yourself in a box and whatever. But yeah. I think that learning what is in the boxes is really important for figuring out that you don't want to be in a box because boxes can be comfortable for people. They can be like, you know, these are what my boundaries are. This is where I have to be. And I, I think that it's really cool. I've never heard anybody have obviously have the story that you have because we all have different upbringings, but have this uh, experience of, being in boxes and then removing yourself and going into a different box and being like, eh, learned that not for me. I don't like yeah. this part and moving. <laughs> like, I just, I like you. 
Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's kind of, yeah. I think the thing is, you know, you can't stay static uh, uh, for me anyway. Um, I feel like just, I feel the thing is, I I used to think it a failing to go from one thing to another, but ultimately I've realised it's an exploration mm-hmm. and it that delving into something deeply. And there's this principle in chaos magic that you sort of go fully into something and really explore it to its nth degree. And then if you've got the purpose, you know, the tools from there, that's great. But if it's not working for you, move on to something else. And to do that in a way that's not appropriative or, you know, or uh, insensitive, I think is important because you can you can really understand, like you say, what you're not by realising what is. And I, I think this is the funny thing, like you say, about almost kind of busting out of the box because coming into sort of the witchy sphere, I was like, okay, if nature's my base, then hedge witchery is a thing. And again, it's another label, it's another box. And as I sort of progressed into witchcraft and you, and you feel like, okay, I kind of know more of what I believe or don't, I, I know more of what I am because I'm always someone who dives, you know, headlong into a history and into sort of research and things like that. Once you learn that, you go, actually, being a witch is enough. I don't have to be a, a this witch or that witch or the other witch. I can yes. just be a witch and that's that's kind of a radical act because so many times people come into witchcraft want to have their little you know race to run they want to have their lane they they want to stay in but ultimately if you're staying in that lane you're not seeing what's the left and right of you and you're perhaps missing out on things that you could really use upon your journey so i think the biggest thing has been being open to just being like okay let's make this as wide as possible as i can um you know and and then just see what information i can garner and how i can go about applying that yeah somebody recently was talking to me and they said well is it appropriation if I'm doing something because I'm like genuinely in awe of it and I'm attracted to it. And they say, you know what? It's like my way of paying like homage. Like I'm super attracted to this. And they said, you know, in my, like, I feel a draw to this. So how do I know that like in my past life, I wasn't this person um, specifically was talking about some, um, some like voodoo poles. And she's like, I'm extremely, you know, attracted to this. And I get told that it's appropriation. And she's like, but I feel so drawn to it. Like it's in my spirit. And how do I know that in a past life, I wasn't, you know, one of these women and whatnot. And so I like, what is the line? And I have so many people that are like new practicers or uncomfortable practicers that listen. And like, what do you feel like is the line between what's appropriation and like, it is going to be offensive and what is somebody being like I love this and I want to embrace it I mean there are white people who you know love Indian culture and they want to embrace Indian culture and whatnot but then when it comes to spirituality there's kind of this like oh no 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 you can't do that because it'll it'll upset somebody I think ultimately as someone who's in a position of privilege myself being white um, I think seeking out elders or um, people in the community, leaders within the community that you are, um, you know, interested in is is the place to go because those, those will be the people who are best to guide you. And I think that some practices are initiation only. And so then you can 
I think learning about a practice um, and actually practicing it are kind of two different things. I think appreciating the, you know, philosophies or approaches of a practice are, you know, are something that is is good to sort of do it and, and try and understand other practices because then they know they don't become othered. They don't become kind of alienated. But equally, I think it's okay for cultures that whose spiritual practices have been sometimes legally suppressed to go, there's, there's, there's steps here, you know, there's steps here before anybody can, you know, practice this or there's steps here before it's appropriate. I think ultimately we do a lot of hand wringing in the witchcraft and occult community when actually if we sort out leaders within that community, we could often get a lot of our questions answered, but it's that balance of seeking them out and being able to provide something yourself, either through, you know, if you're paying, you know, if someone's giving you a lot of knowledge, I think there's nothing wrong in, in reimbursing them for that, either through paying for them or through some kind of service. So I feel like ultimately we need to make sure we're not using people from within these cultures um, and using their labor and then not recompensing for that because there's already been enough um, labor taken from these people, either emotionally or physically. Um, but I think that, I think really there's often an equivalent practice within um, perhaps a culture of your own in terms of your heritage or, or whatnot. Um, you know, for instance, with things like smoke cleansing, you know, a lot of people um, will use the, uh, the or, or sort of will use that the smudging side of things w mm -hmm. without really doing smudging as such because it's quite a specific ritual um you know and and obviously i think different cultures they're not going to be individuals cultures are not monoliths there's going to be nuance there right because everybody is individual so some people will be more comfortable with it than others i think again it's about listening but ultimately with something like um you know white sage for instance you know, in the UK, there is mugwort and juniper and other herbs that have a history of being used as smoke cleansing. And it doesn't cost me anything to use those instead because it does the same thing theoretically from my surface level knowledge that it, the idea is to cleanse a space. Um, so then why why can't I just use those? I, I don't need access to everything for me to be able to practice efficiently as a witch. And I think that it's just really seeking out people who learn or, or who um, or who are leaders or at least people who know about the practice, listening to them and and being being willing to unlearn things. A lot of witchcraft and occultism is learning, unlearning, relearning. It's it's really being open to being wrong, treading on toes and going, oh, I'm sorry about that. And then sort of reassessing and thinking, OK, where are the limits here? Because ultimately you know we all have we all have plenty of managed to make um without stepping into cultures that have been um you know suppressed or oppressed for their own beliefs uh, i think it's i think it's just being sensitive and being open to dialogue really yes and that's why i'm i'm so grateful that we're having this conversation and actually i realized as you were talking i never thought about somebody trying to practice something where or or be involved in some kind of spiritual practice where they haven't actually reached out to leaders in that community if that makes sense like mm. I I never thought about 
people just kind of like free balling it and like yeah. going buck ass wild and just like trying to figure it out for themselves. <laughs> I always figured that like, well, if you're interested in that, and and again, this goes to, you know, me thinking that people think like me, because if I'm <laughs> interested in something, I'm going to find the person who's involved yeah. in that, who knows the most about it. I'm going to ask them all the questions. I'm going to be like, how do you jump me in? I want in. Yeah. Um, I never, I love what you just said. Also, so many different things that can be used instead of white sage. Um, yes. And for me, I have this, my friend who is on a reservation in California has this garden and she grows white sage and rosemary and lavender and all these herbs. And she made me these beautiful little bundles mm. and sent them to me. And I am somebody who, when I first learned about um, there being the discussion on sage, I actually found out from somebody on the podcast and I was like, that sounds like crap. Like I, I had never heard the argument before and, or not argument, but you know, the other viewpoint. Yeah. And I, I just, I was like, I don't, I don't agree with that. Whatever. I did some research. I was like, okay. So I stopped using white sage. I started using other herbs. And yeah. when I just got this package with these smudge sticks, I promise you that the energy of using those smudge sticks is different than any energy that I've had using sage any other time before when I thought that it was just like so important to do I think I think the thing is like there you know you have that access and that relationship there that existing relationship right yeah and so so that is something that's an exchange between you and another person that's consensual I think that's the key thing there is the consent and I think it's when folks don't have the option to consent for that access or to that access that it becomes a sort of challenge right i think it's 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 such a it's such a nuanced thing and i think that ultimately listening to people within those communities um is key because like i say no one's a monolith like being in the queer community the queer community is is not a monolith either right and you know being non-binary like it's there's not monoliths there it's all very nuanced and personal experience whilst there might be shared experiences you know, each person will have their own take. And I think that, you know, supporting folks, especially, you know, Native folks or Indigenous peoples in their, you know, practices is is important because it's part of reparations for, for how many, you know, how much they've had taken away from them, you know, culturally. I think it's, it's just important to be mindful of, you know, am I am I stepping somewhere that I'm causing harm? And that's ultimately what you want to think about in, for me is that, okay, is this action causing harm or, or not? And, and then just assessing, like, is this necessary? Because ultimately uh, we risk going into exoticism, right? Because something that's unfamiliar seems like, oh, it must be better magic or it must be more whatever, right? We, and this is what we see in earlier cultism when you had the Egyptology uh, you know, big boom of that, uh, which very much inspired early, um, you know, early occultists. And then it just became that it's almost coming a little bit of a free for all. And there's so much folk magic, uh, you know, especially in the UK, that is inherently practical. We see this with the history of cunning folk. And 
and and it's very regional. So I think the thing is, there is information there. And if if people put as much effort as they do into fighting to use stuff that perhaps they don't really need to use or should use, in as they did into researching about, you know, throughout the history of, of magic and things like that in different regions, in different sort of places, then they'd have a lot more information in, in their hands and perhaps alternatives that are either more appropriate or perhaps more rewarding to them. So I just think spending the energy that we have, and, you know, as witches and occultists, energy is a big deal, right? It's one of those yeah. things. <laughs> we, want to, we want to have that. We want to use it wisely. So I, mostly I spend my energy looking into things and then applying those things, um, you know, where appropriate. I think really we need to redirect and go, why do you feel you need to do this? Why do you feel you have to do this? Is that actually the fact that it's, it's something other and exciting? Or could you, or, you know, are we fetishizing here? You know, I think it's it's key to look, especially because I found with, um, a lot of uh, folks over uh, across the pond, as we call it, um, in the US, see their <laughs> across the pond. Across the pond, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not like it's hours of flights or anything. Yeah, just across the pond. <laughs> but you know, a lot of folks will seek out their family histories uh, and you know, and find out sort of where they came over from um, if they aren't native folks themselves, um, or you know, if they are. Obviously, it depends depending on heritage. Um, so why not use that information to to guide you? Um, you know, I think, like I say, knowledge, and I'm a big fan of knowledge being open to everybody. Um, but yeah, I think just just being mindful of the fact that because you've read something in a book doesn't mean that you have a handle on that whole practice, right? Because there are a lot of books written by people who are quite flawed or who are who who learn from people who are flawed, right? Because we're all humans, right? We're all flawed. We all have to relearn and, and learn. But the trouble is we often we often kind of deify these early occultists or these sort of formative works because there's this nostalgia around them because it was the first book we picked up when we got into witchcraft, blah, 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 right? And, <laughs> and that's great, right? That's great. You love that book, fair enough. But also there are books that have been written since that are more informed, less toxic <laughs> and could really serve you. I always say like there have been books written written about occultism since 2000, right? And You're like, I know books. you love that book, but fuck that book. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking book. I'm so done with some of these books, right? And they keep getting suggested. This is the thing that drives me wild. Is they keep people keep suggesting these really toxic, shitty books that, whilst they may have had an influence, you know, the Bible's had an influence, right? Oh my god. The, like, it's had an influence. And whilst there might be wisdom in there, and whilst we might be able to agree that some of the philosophy, you know, you think, okay, yeah, that could make sense, that could not. It's also been used to perpetuate a lot of harm, right? And, and this is the thing, we have like stereotypes and, and gender roles and, you know, queerness not being you know, a, a positive thing, right? I, literally in, in, in a book, on a bookshelf, uh, you know, in a uh, bookshop, there is still a famous witchy book that it has uh, a passage about um, be it, you know, gay members uh, of, of covens and things and how they, how they lament the fact that gay has been used to describe homosexuality because no one can use it as the term happy anymore. And it's like, really? That's your take? <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's your take. So I think the thing is, I wouldn't mind if these books existed and we went, you know what? They suck a bit, 
But, you know, if you're going to read these last, that's okay. Just, be, you know, be mindful of this toxic stuff in there or this problematic stuff in there. But we don't do that. We go, these are icons of witchcraft and all this stuff. And then you're like, yeah, but but hang on a second. We're, we're then telling new witches, current witches, queer witches, witches of colour, that this is this, this is the this is the golden age of witchcraft you know writing and inspiration we're then making the ignorance still relevant today oh, right yeah. when we could actually be saying here are some better books here are books written you know like for instance brina garen right with grove daughter witchery it immediately goes into just basically defining what a witch is which is someone who practices witchcraft right you don't have to be I don't know, 10th goddess under the moon of frogs. It's literally just like, you can just be a witch. <laughs> yeah. And, so. you know, what's unfortunate is that there are people trying to educate new practicers right now who have never been educated, who have gotten the same research it. Why are you asking me questions? Research it. And so, mm. you know, in their defense, what they're researching, you know, they're finding certain things that like, hey, you know, maybe yes, that the, the book has something about, you know, using the word gay in it. But maybe in other parts of that book, that person feels super heard and understood and a line in that book really jumps out to them. And so they're like, yeah, I'm going to stick on to, you know, you should read this because this helped me so much. And mm -hmm. I feel like it's because there is this community and I, I use that term broadly, but this like not organized religion-based community has, has so little like actual uh, people wanting to help and like truly educate that yeah. I feel like it leads for a lot of people to try and figure things out on their own. And then they do, they read these toxic fucking books and those books still are super popular because wow, well, people are reading them. Well, yeah, they don't know about any of the other books. Some yeah, of the exactly. best books are these like witchcraft for dummy type books. Like I, I literally have the witch, the modern guide to uh, beginner witchcraft, and I have the good witches guide and basic witches just sitting right here, and those are all like beautiful books that are they're newer aged, they're written in a different way, they're very inclusive, and they're very like you want to know what witchcraft is. Witchcraft is literally women who or started out as women. It's no longer it, it's no longer you know. It's, it's, it's acceptable that everybody practices witchcraft. Like it is not woman based. And that's what these books are saying is like, we used to be put in this box where it was only female. And now mm. it's actually, I, if you haven't read this book, um, I think that you would really love it. It is called um, the good witches guide. And it specifically says in here, like it, you know, what are witches? It used to be that they, you know, were only seen as women. And now we understand that like people don't only identify themselves as a woman. And this is all about being inclusive. And it's for the people who, you know, don't necessarily fit in in certain places and they, they don't want to practice in certain ways and they don't want to have to be in a box. And they're the ones who, you know, speak out against things that don't sound right. And they find a different way to, you know, work with the universe and, I think it's just so yeah. fucking beautiful. 
Yeah, I think the thing is, you know, it's if we keep recommending the same stuff, it's almost like having the same conversation. We don't end up moving on to new subjects or looking at the subject from different angles. And like, for instance, the, the women sort of focus with witchcraft, right? The, even historically, that's that's incorrect because you know there was in we see throughout kind of the the what we and this kind of assumption of women equals witch obviously comes from a lot of the persecution. You've know, got the Puritan persecution right. and you've got cases of like cunning folk and things like that. And yes, women have less power. They they had even less power then. And, you know, and they were exploited by a very uh, patriarchal society, a very unequal society. And and that's true. The reality is, though, you go to places like Iceland during witch trials and about I think it was about 70 percent of the people killed were men for witchcraft. Right. So it kind of switches on its head. So historically, it's incorrect to say that witchcraft and, and occultism, if we're going to apply the term witch to these people who are realistically, some of them, yes, maybe been practitioners, but, you know, a lot of them are victims of circumstance. But even historically, it doesn't hold up. The challenge is we have this. What we need to do is separate out the political act of which, uh, or the political, uh, political. I don't know what the term is, but basically, you had this this activism group. I think it still exists in, in a different form called Witch, and they they originated, I believe at least that term, um, with the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn. Right? It was originally a, a kind of feminist phrase. It wasn't meant to be taken literally. It wasn't meant to be taken historically. It was meant to be this act of defiance against this sort of patriarchal, puritanical kind of thing, right? And then it's been kind of moved into the witchy sphere, the actual witchy sphere, rather than the purely kind of feminist and, you know, pushing against the boundaries kind of side of things. And it's been kind of taken literally. So now people are like, oh, I literally am the granddaughter of people. <laughs> and it's like, no, <laughs> no. Like, it's, it, this whole idea of have, having to hearken back uh, you know, generationally back to this, that and the other and having this long line of it. Great. If you've got a family history of witchcraft, brilliant. You know, you do you. But ultimately, it then it, it gatekeeps witchcraft, right? And and this is why I find books like Grove Daughter Witchery so refreshing. Rebel Witch has come out recently by Kellyanne Maddox, which very much is about your own practice. And, you know, things like Firelights, um, Dabbler's Guide to Witchcraft um, and, and the learning of it, you know, it's all about... <laughs> really using critical thinking because for me as a secular you know non-theist which a witch who doesn't incorporate deities but does incorporate pretty much anything else that's appropriate i i struggled a lot to find resources when i first got into the craft because you get the same old things mentioned and it wasn't until i i found that sort of little niche of atheist and non-theist witches that i then found some really solid you know critical thinking um thoughtful works that then led to sort of my development and so really what we survive on in witchcraft are people and the community that suggestions right and but the trouble is if you've got poor suggestions you're going to keep having poor poorly informed people so it just means that we have this perpetuated cycle of people who keep learning and then having to unlearn. But as soon as you, you know, when you have something, right, someone give you 20 quid, right, or 20 pounds or $20, right, and then they, you go, great, brilliant. And then if they ask for it back, you're less likely to want to give that back, right? And it's the yeah. same with information. 
right? The same information is that if someone gives you knowledge, you go, okay, but I've learned that now. I don't want to let go of this. Why do I have to learn something else? I've already absorbed this. You know, I don't want to have to, you know, it's, it's an effort. But we have to make the effort to unlearn to relearn, to reassess, because ultimately, if we take which meaning knowing, meaning wisdom, meaning someone who is wise, that indicates someone who learns and continues. Because if you aren't learning, then you're just staying the same. And that's not really, for me, what life is about. Yeah, that's boring. Yes. <laughs> I'd be bored. Um, okay, a question. What is cunning folk? Cunning folk really were a uh, were and still are because there are um, cunning folk uh, that remain today and practice today. They were essentially, if you think of back in the day when medicine, unfortunately, is you know obviously still expensive in certain places. Medicine was quite exclusive, and it was something that was a knowledge really for the for the wealthy and for people who could afford to go to these sort of doctors. In villages in throughout the UK, you would have somebody who knew herb law, but not only this, they kind of were like a village councillor in a way. They knew, you know, how to sort of deal with disputes. They might do some, uh, you know, curse breaking or hex breaking for people. They may do the opposite. You know, they may be casting uh, curses or hexes. They might be you know, making charms or various things like this. Historically, they were essentially the the wise folk of the village and they would make their trade through services. They're essentially what Ronald Hutton, uh, the historian, would probably call service magicians. And they, they're they very interesting to look into. Owen Davis has a good um, book on cunning folk um, called Popular Magic. And it's really fascinating to see these sort of interwoven figures. The challenge is, is that whilst they were utilised, as people often are in society, certain groups are utilised for their knowledge base. As soon as they, as soon as something happens that people or the majority of society disagree with, they end up pointing fingers at those folk, right? So the person who broke that hex, or maybe they hex somebody else, right? And it becomes this whole thing of of the person that you are you know using as as a service you then end up blaming right it's kind of like the original karen situation right <laughs> you've got these people who are you know who then end up and we see this in terms of the witch trials especially um like i say in the uk side of things in england you see examples where there were good cunning folk uh, and then there were witches right cunning folk who provided services to the community and then people who were ostracized uh, and we see this with the dem dykes and uh, and we see this in uh, especially lancashire of these sort of cunning folk and um and their sort of perceived powers whilst you know when they were useful to the people in the village and in the towns that was great but when they were seen as a threat then oh that's when things turn right uh, and that sort of fickleness of society especially a superstitious society so cunning folk are really interesting piece of law to look at uh, and you still get folk like um in cornwall there are still sort of cunning folk especially there and um and you have them dotted around really uh yeah it's something that i think is a fascinating piece of history it's it's really interesting to see how these people interwove their practices within the community and also what they would tend to do is you know they'd make something and then they'd say something it was very much this thing of like 
a little bit of performance into it as well, right? And making someone feel like they kind of got their money's worth and that you'd get them to say this charm, get them maybe to wear this thing or consume this thing. And the person at the very least would feel better, right? It's kind of a, a sort of placebo magic as well as an actual effect, depending on sort of obviously the individual uh, individual working. So historically, they were kind of witches, but we they wouldn't necessarily ascribe that title to themselves. I don't think we can necessarily um, apply that as such. So at least not post, but really they're what we see as those kind of formative folk practitioners, and uh, and it's a, it's a title that witches do, um, you know, still use today, and and I think that service magician is a kind of a fun modern um, take on that. Uh, like I say, by Ronald Hutton, I thought that was quite an interesting thing because it's sort of like it's a service industry. And I think Cunning Folk, one of those original little service industries. Yeah, I love this. Thank you for educating me on that. You're welcome. Um, I have. So on my Patreon, I've done the Scotland Witch Trials and the Salem Witch Trials, which, Ooh. by the way, growing up in and I don't know if it's the same um, over there here growing up in the States. The only witch trials that I have ever been told about were the Salem witch trials. And yeah. it's not something that we're heavily educated on, but it is something that is in our history books. I think mm. we spend like t- two days being like, hey, there were, and none of it's like, and it stems from the Catholic church. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it was just, you know, they burned and, you know, they'll do field trips there or whatnot. Um, but you tell me about the Icelandic witch, tri- or witch, uh, witch trials makes me think of now needing to research that and doing a segment on that. So I think I'm about to, like, dive nose first into that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, I definitely recommend um, looking at... Well, I mean, there's a few options. The Witch by Ronald Hutton is a good um, book to look at, uh, if you haven't already. And and I think anything sort of Owen Davis is always good. Okay. Uh, I think really those two are, are good. Le Couteau as well, Claude Le Couteau, um, is one of my favourite authors because they look at folk practices um, within sort of Europe and, uh, and Scandinavia. And that's really fascinating because... Um, a lot of these practices you see uh, in some form or another, um, you know, filtered down today. And so that kind of gives you, I think the thing is that there's a tendency in witchcraft to just read witchcraft books, but actually if we read a lot of more of the history, history. Books, yes. you know, that's the thing. There's a lot of info there and we can utilize that uh, and apply it to today. So, so yeah, witch trials are, are one of those things that really, they're a really fascinating thing to explore the kind of sociological aspect of things. And it's a good warning, right? It's a good warning not to be too taken up by fervor and mob mentality. And I think that we just need to remember that, remember that when we're, you know, when we're in such a reactive society and when we're bombarded with things that are seeking us to react to them, it, taking that moment just to step back and rather than react, respond, I think is a good thing to do. And it's something we all have to sort of continually progress, you know, and, and humans aren't perfect, but at least they, at least they try and learn. Right. (laughs) So there are continuously things that come up and 
you know, where, where harsh lines are drawn and you're either left or right. I mean, even if you think about that, like in the term of politics or whatnot, whoever doesn't Mm. agree with you and has a different view, they're demonized. They're the bad guy. How dare they have that different perspective, that different opinion. Um, and you know, that, so it continues to be the same cycle, but just in different ways. And I don't think that, you know, people realize, you know, well, I can't believe that happened back then. And I can't believe, you know, whatever. Okay. Well, it happened, you know, with witchcraft and then it happened with Nazis. And then, you know what I mean? Like it keeps, it's something that like throughout history, there's always going to be these like divisive things. And to your point, reading and learning the histories of things, you know, witchcraft or otherwise is so fucking important to not be repeating patterns. Yes, you know, uh, and I think really history is something that we can ideally learn from. I think it's always <laughs> the thing is, right, there's a, a tendency to be like, oh, the past was was so much more informed than we are now or all oh, the past and viewing it in this rose tinted glasses. The past was hard, right? The past was hard and miserable. And yeah, there was joy there, but it was also a lot of struggle. And and I always am slightly concerned by people who want to go back to the past or say things were better back in the day or whatever it is, because ultimately maybe they were better for you in your privilege, you know, you in the general you, but not for everybody. And I think that's the thing. We need to think about these lessons from history and go, right, we are not immune to this because the thing is, it's very easy to go, oh, that issue is over there. It was those people who were discriminated against. I'm yes. safe over here, right? But ultimately, you're not, right? No one's safe from being othered. Othering is othering is something that is a, a really dangerous tool to separate. And ultimately, we need to make sure that we're joining together and and trying to progress together, right? Because that's that's the way to build community and to to build on creativity right the more we support each other the more we support individuals who might make something amazing you know and I think this is a thing is that we spend a lot of time being distracted and divided and I think it's important that people are given room to raise and no and like people say oh they they you know people get for, they're like oh what about this when you bring up one sort of subject you know for example queer rights or whatever they're like oh what about this and you're like yeah but what everything is valid right each person has to have their uh you know each person is allowed to express discomfort and you can be like yeah i want i want queer rights but i also want rights for people of color i also want rights for women i also want rights for uh you know whoever it might be and I think this is the thing, we we often get this either or, when actually it's all right, yes and, yes and we could do this too, like let's all, you know, progress together, let's allow people and the appropriate people to, you know, push their causes so that we can all rise up together as, you know, as humanity. This sounds very kind of optimistic and very, you know, <laughs> very utopian, but why not, right? Why can't we have progression and cooperation why is this such a hard thing why why is it so hard to get people to know that you should basically care about other people right i think honestly i think it's lack of open dialogue open and inclusive conversations um and i i'll give you this has nothing to do with um like witchcraft at all but i'll give you um for me I found it very hard to understand when um, we started having new pronouns 
and not in not in a like judgmental way in any aspect just more of I really like to be educated and I like to know but why why do you identify as that like if I can understand the why then I can understand like you know you wanting a label like I just I want to have that conversation I want to understand and Hmm. I like I was saying earlier when we were, you know, just talking about appropriation, I just feel like there's not a lot of safe spaces to be able to say, I come at this with zero judgment. I just want to be educated without getting some kind of uh, of um, closed minded reaction and and not. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that what there is, is, is a challenge because, you know, having, having existed as a queer person for a lot of time now, you know, there is this balance of, of kind of picking your moments, right? And picking your audience. There are, for example, my wife does activism um, for queer folks and runs a queer forum um, that is there to, uh, there to answer and educate um, you know, questions by people who who need that safe space to sort of to be educated and and to ask questions, right? I do think there needs to be that safe space, but I think again, this is a matter of consent, right? Because it's exhausting being that sort of token person, like you know, being the only queer person in my workplace, uh, you know, throughout various experiences and various workplaces, you get all the queer questions, right? And oh, so you can okay. be like you can be like, you know what? I don't want to be the token queer today, <laughs> right? I just want to exist as a queer person without having to tell you how I have sex or, <laughs> you know, what, you know, what I think about equal marriage or whatever. It's like, I, I, I could just happily just exist as a Lee today, right? Because I think this is the thing when we have, and there are places, this is the thing, if you seek them out, you can find places within the witchcraft community that will educate you. And there are people of color and, and various different groups that run spaces that are for education and, and you can go into those spaces. I think it's, it is again, that matter of consent of being, is this person willing and, and wanting to spend their labor and their energy on this you know, is it appropriate for me to necessarily kind of enter this? Is there that consent there? Because by just going up to anybody and being like, what do you think about this really sensitive issue that affects your daily life and existence, right? <laughs> it's a bit full on sometimes, right? You're just like, you know what? Uh, can I just have my lunch, right? <laughs> no, that so- totally explains to the like, you know, the response that many do have where, because I mm. said so, because it is what it is, because that's what I prefer. Yeah. And as you explain it that way, I totally understand that. I don't like to be, you know, fucking, oh, you're a witch. I got all these fucking questions about the toad I found in my backyard today. You know, like, <laughs> no, I thank you for saying it that way. I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I think the thing is there has to be space to learn, right? As a queer person, I, I when I can and when I have the energy, uh, I will, you know, I will explain things and I will talk about stuff and my experience. Again, I'm not a monolith, uh, you know, and queerness isn't a monolith, nor is, is, is uh, you know, nor are people of colour. And so ultimately my opinion is going to differ from other people, right? And so the reality is, whilst you might, you know, you and the general you again might be 
you know, using me as the, the source of queer information. When <laughs> another queer person, you know, comes to you and goes, well, this actually, and you go, hang on a minute, but Lee, you said this. You're like, yeah, because, because, because everyone's different, right? And so I think it's just, I think it's being open to nuance and being open to difference. And yeah, like I say, my wife very, you know, very much sets a a space, a particular space, a particular time and gives that opportunity for people to come and educate themselves and for people to exist within that space. Right. And that's a well-boundaried consensual space. And I think that's the thing to just consider is that, right. Is this something that am I? And also, you know, expecting people to give out stuff without giving back is is a real, you know, an issue. I think that we need to be more willing, uh, you know, to, to accept that knowledge and that kind of labour it costs something, right? So, what are we doing to recompense that? Uh, you know, I think, I think, yeah, I just think that just being mindful of what we're expecting from people is is key. I agree. Um, if you and your wife would be comfortable with that, I would really love to put a link down um, in the description of your episode to where they can go for that forum. Um, mm, sure. Yeah, and see, um, really share that education. Um, the My wife's um, forum, I will check with them um, because I, I know it's in a specific setting. Um, so yeah, we will, I will double check. And if I can, I will give you a link. Yeah, I would love that. I just, you know, Uh, On top of, and I feel like, you know, having such sensitive topics about like spirituality, because it really is a sensitive topic. Mm. I feel like it kind of opens up this floor where we end up talking about other things that end up being like sensitive to people's lives. And I just want you to know that like, although I bring things up about like, hey, I didn't understand, you know, these and I'd love to be able to have conversations about this. I hope that it never is coming across like in a way that makes you uncomfortable. It just genuinely is like, hey, I have the opportunity to like bring this up in this moment. And like, I would like to be able to share this. Yeah. And I think the thing is, you know, we spoke before um, this conversation happened. Right. And we said, like, okay, I'm going to ask you some topics. Is that okay with you? It's consent again. I consented and I said, look, ask me anything. Because then I get to go, okay, for in this time period that I have with you, I'm open to anything. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's again, that open space that is pre-agreed upon that, um, that allows for that conversation to be as constructive as possible, you know? I love you for saying that. Yeah. And I feel like that's why I go into, and it hasn't been because, you know, we're going to, because I think, oh yeah, we'll talk about sensitive topics that I say it's not scripted or filtered. But now Mm. as you say that I'm realizing you're right. I do go into it ahead of time. And I'm, I'm pointing this out because I tend to second guess myself on things. I tend to be Mm, like, oh no, was that offensive? Like, should I have not have said that? Should I have whatever? But when you just say that, I'm like, I do tell people ahead of time that I don't have scripted questions and, you know, I'm, we're not going to filter. We're just going to have like open, honest dialogue. And, you know, I always do an opening prayer before I interview anybody and Mm. I always cleanse my space and I... I tell spirit, like, I want the messages that come through today to be what is truly going to affect somebody who listens. I want it to be, you know, I want the person who is talking to feel welcome and for it to be, you know, a loving healing space. And I want for the messages that come through to help somebody. And I, I can say that I truly feel like this episode with you, this conversation with you 
has led into topics that I haven't discussed on this podcast before. And I'm just really grateful for the energy that you are bringing and the information and the openness and willing to educate. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, I think the thing is, I am a fan of of making space for education and for exploring things, right? Because, and that's why I do the magical thing as a concept, you know, as the channel was important to me because I wanted to make this space where where people could ask the simplest of questions and no question would be stupid no question would be you know too small or too large and topics could be approached in a very open way an approachable way that means that anybody can do the magical thing right anybody can practice magic and I strongly believe that I don't think there should be um you know gatekeeping to to magical practice obviously bar initiated um you know initiated practices within it but I think that really my main thing is that if I have learned something and and it's appropriate for me to do so sharing that knowledge is is great because you get to you get to have opportunities of conversation or of of sparking ideas right uh, and the thing is you've got to accept that you, you're going to be wrong at sometimes every time I put out a video I think to myself, okay, this is what I think at this time and that maybe in the future when I look back on these things, I may be wrong. I may have had an opinion that is is problematic and I need to, you know, as long as I'm progressing, I need to put something out there as I know it because then at least, at least some kind of learning can come from it in whatever form, positive or negative or nuanced, there's, there's something there, right? And I think that having these conversations you know like you say and and I think it is like you say about second guessing yourself it's one of those things that you can do and it's important to have that that moment of pause um you know and and it's kind of that thing of feel the fear and do it anyway uh, and and at least you know learn something and yeah you might sort of fall over and, and scrape your knees but ultimately you'll heal and you'll learn how to walk or you know go through your path in a in a way that is uh, is helpful to you absolutely Yeah. Um, On the topic of education and do the magical thing, um, what kinds of things can people uh, go to your YouTube to find out? What kinds of knowledge are you dropping over there? So because I come from a non-theist perspective, it's very much path neutral. And it's really about exploring the theory and practice of witchcraft and the occult. So, you know, you look into the sort of deep dive on the knowledge and I tend to look at older sources and fish out the juicy good bits, right? And and go, okay, how can this be applied? And how can it be applied in a easy to do um, but meaningful fashion? And so my ultimate goal was, uh, and what I noted from other creators, so I was like, you know what, witchcraft is one of those things that's saturated with people. And, you know, if I'm going to, I want to contribute something, right? I don't want to just be there and, and just blow in hot air. I want to be able to, to have something tangible. And so that's why I... I titled it in the way that I did because Do Magical Thing is about getting on with witchcraft, right? It's about getting on with the practice, being brave and and getting your hands dirty, right? And it's about 
making sure that other people are enabled to do that too. So realistically, what you'll get is some theory so you understand why you're doing the things and then the actual thing to do that is simple that you'll have in, you know, an economic way. Because the reality is we, you know, people try and go into all these fancy herbs or this, that and the other. And, and realistically, magic can be done with just your breath, right? It's something that is very, very, <laughs> you know, it's just simple. It's simple stuff, right? We make it overcomplicated because we live in this sort of consumer capitalist society where we think we must have something to gain something. Yes. When actually, you know, just being who you are, you know, and, and a few kitchen herbs. Yeah. Who cares if they're from the spice rack in your local supermarket? It's still herbs, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, thank you. Yes. And you don't have to go out and buy fancy fucking jars. You can use an old pickle jar. Yes, exactly. Like, you know, the really is. Is using there's a, there's a brand called uh, Home Pride, right? And and Home Pride in itself is a little term. You think, oh, that could make a good protection bottle, and it's like a bottle of sauce for fifty p or something. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not right. So it's being, and ultimately, you know, which which witchcraft and things like that, it's about being resourceful, using what you have tapping into your environment you know locally there's a few street trees and a couple of parks where there are certain plants that will shed you know pine needles or or rowan berries or you know there's certain weeds that we think of as weeds which are actually really useful herbs you know there's some yarrow that grows um, near where I work and so it's like by being observing these things educating yourself and, and researching your space you get to then get more out of that space and and work more in exchange with the kind of uh, genius Loki, the sort of spirit of the land, the spirit of the place. And so, yeah, ultimately, really, the magical thing is about empowering witches and people who want to be, uh, you know, making magic to actually get on and do it. Because also, you know, I struggle with with concentration and I struggle with, uh, with the sort of things like that because I have been referred for ADHD and I see a lot of that within the witchcraft community. And whilst I can't claim that I have that yet, um, because obviously referrals take time, ultimately doing the magical thing is also a reminder to my little, you know, my little sort of squirrel brain when I see something like squirrel and that's it, my focus just goes. <laughs> so it's that reminder to get on and do it, you know, come on, get on and do it. So it's a personal reminder to me to be like, right, okay, yeah, you can read all these books, you can do all that, but actually let's light that candle let's let's get those herbs together you know let's make that that ritual happen and i think that there's far too much of people being like you have to be this really special super duper you know witch of the hundredth degree thing when actually no you don't right <laughs> why why were witches tools cauldrons and brooms you know why are those archetypes seen because they were household items because there were things that were there that were used all the time for cooking for cleaning right and so we try and make witchcraft this exclusive thing to make ourselves feel special. We are special enough, right? We're all special enough. And so look at the way you can get on with it. And and rather than this performative uh, aesthetic, which is obviously fun and that's great, you know, you go for it if you want to. But if you really want to be practicing witch, you know, witch, this is something that Althea, um, what is their last name? Althea uh, Sebastiani says in their work by Rust of Nail and Prick of Thorn, it's called rich, witchcraft, not witch think. And I think that's the thing for me ah. is that I have to remember that, you know? Yeah. And I love that you're, I, I feel like you're saying that your YouTube channel holds you accountable for doing your craft. 
Yes. And (laughs) I kind of feel the same way a little bit about the podcast. Like for me, I get extremely reclusive and um, I like to research things on my own. And, and so it's, it, it causes me to have to go outside of my bubble and network with people and like actually have conversations and <laughs> brain enough to be like, what are they saying? And what do I say? Yeah. Yeah. If somebody could take away one thing from this episode with you today, what would you like it to be? To have fun with magic, you know, because ultimately if you're not enjoying witchcraft, if you're not enjoying the occult, then why are you doing it? You know, what's, what's the what's the point? Because the thing is, we often make it such a serious thing and we punish ourselves for not knowing enough or for whatever it might be. We have all these markers for ourselves. But ultimately, when was the last time you had fun with witchcraft? Right. When was the last time you enjoyed it, had a laugh, you know, spilt some herbs, burnt your tabletop and, you know, all that stuff? When was the last time you really enjoyed it? That's the thing I would say is get fun, get get your hands dirty and, and yeah, do the magical thing, right? Just get on with it. Do the magical thing. Well, thank you so much for just, like, sharing all this knowledge, like, just providing your energy and your time um i've taken over an hour of your time so i'm gonna have us wrap um i've got to feed my little human because it's bedtime (laughs) (laughs) and i didn't give him dinner yet um your episode is going to drop this sunday it drops sunday morning my time Um, and i send you a link as soon as it's up um, and then I'll be sending you a message right when we finish to let you know um, just the last final things that I need before or, or in order for me to post it. And awesome. that'll be it. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time too. Oh, of course. Yeah. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for just, uh, just thank you. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I think the thing is, you know, when you're, when you're trying to make content and I, you know, I have this sort of the same thing of like you put yourself out there and you're like "Ah." and so I was just like hey content creator hi I'm here you can do the thing yeah let's do it (laughs) no let's do it and I will definitely we will definitely need to talk about um something to collaborate on together for the patreon I'm happy to um collaborate with you on the things that you work on as well so you just let me know yeah yeah no worries that sounds great all right well you have a wonderful rest of your day or night whatever it is over there it is the morning yes all right well you have a whole day ahead of you i do (laughs) well thank you so much you are welcome i will talk with you later fantastic you take care all right you too bye bye